Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous message, I was in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, speaking about the second part of verse 4, where it says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And I spent a lot of time explaining that in general, in the Christian world, people have the belief that we are to be holy in the sense of we are to get our flesh under control, that we are to determine what we are to do and what we are not to do. Therefore, we are to be sure that we do those things that we need to do and we do not do those things that we should not be doing. And in this way, we obtain holiness because he says that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. So let's do it. Let's be holy. And this becomes the definition of the Christian life for a lot of people. The definition of the Christian life becomes a life of what is it that you are going to do or not do so that you can define your holiness and so that you will be holy as you should be. And this becomes the purpose of the church and, of course, the pastor of the church. The purpose of the church and its leadership is to inform people of what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. And it is also apparently the role of the leadership of the church to inform you that if you fail, well, then God is going to either punish you or he's not going to bless you or he's not going to provide you with rewards. They will refer to the incentives that are available to you as a Christian, the incentives to get you to get your flesh under control. And a reasonable summary of that is to just simply say that it is either the carrot or the stick. You're either going to get the beatings or the blessings, one of the two. And in general, how does this usually work out? Have you noticed that this usually doesn't work? It might work in some ways. You know, in some ways, people might be terrified of what God will do to them enough that they will stop certain sins. Or they really are just so desperate for God to give them something that they'll stop sinning, well, some sins, in order to try to inspire God to reward them in some way. And yet the struggles of the flesh just go on and on and on. They don't end. And I was explaining in the previous program that this all has to do with the flesh. In general, the world pursues a life of the indulgence of the flesh. But in religion, in the church, it's all about pursuing a life of the restraint of the flesh. And yet it should be quite obvious to you, if you would pay attention, that no matter how hard people try to restrain their flesh, it just doesn't work out. It just doesn't work that way. And so I explained in the previous program that what people will 
often do is they will often declare that they have failed. They will acknowledge that. They will recognize that. And they'll just simply abandon the faith because people do want something real in their lives in general. And they don't want to live under this kind of religious oppression that doesn't seem to do anything to get their flesh under control. They just simply cannot achieve the holiness that they are told that they are to achieve. So people will default to maybe other things. They will say things like, well, we're going to try to get as close as we can. You know, we're going to do the best we can to be like God. We're going to do the best we can to be like Jesus, to be a good Christian. We're just going to get as close to holiness as we can possibly achieve. But this is not the standard that God has defined when it comes to the subject of holiness. God expects perfection if a person is going to live this way. If you're going to establish your right standing with God, or if you are going to try to sustain your right standard with God by holiness, by what you do or by what you don't do, then he has made it abundantly clear in a number of places that he expects perfection, that that is the standard. And so the end result is that people are going to get the feeling that God is disgusted with them, that he is ashamed of them. And if this is the belief concerning holiness, then this is the appropriate conclusion that a person should get to. Those who do not arrive at this point of despair are those who do not take God seriously, who do not take holiness seriously. To them, this must be some kind of recreation or they're just being dishonest. In these kinds of circumstances, it just depends on the person. But the fact is, is that if you will be sincere in these beliefs concerning holiness, then it should take you eventually to the point of despair where you realize that there is no way that you are ever going to obtain any sense of holiness by what you do or by what you don't do. And this is a very difficult conclusion for people to get to. In general, people just don't want to go that far and recognize that they really have no hope of holiness outside of the grace and mercy of God. And that's the point. The point is, is that if you are ever going to be holy, if you are ever going to have any holiness at all, it will only be because God makes you holy in some other way that is unrelated to your flesh. There has to be some other way. And so again, in verse 4, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, when he says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, if this is ever going to take place, it has to be done in a way that is outside, completely separate from what we do and from what we don't do, from our repentance or our obedience, from our attempted restraint of the flesh or whatever it may be, there has to be another way. There is another way. We will be holy and blameless because of what he has done for us, not because of what we do or do not do, 
for him. And this is a real struggle in the Christian world because in general, the message that is relentlessly communicated to people is that your holiness will be determined by what you do and by what you don't do. That is the predominant message in the Christian world, which will always lead to failure if you are sincere about that. There has to be another way, and the only other way is that you will be made holy because of what God has done. And there are some indications of that in verse 4. If you will look at this translation, which is the New King James Version, where he says, and without blame, before him in love. Well, how can you be without blame? How can you be blameless when you have plenty of sin in your life for which you could be blamed. How is this ever going to be resolved? There is only one way for this to be resolved, and that is through forgiveness. And that's what's going to be presented in a couple of verses in verse 7, where it says that we have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. This is one of the reasons why Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, to resolve the sin issue between man and God entirely, so that there could be an opportunity for a person to be declared blameless. And the only way that that can take place is if God doesn't hold your sins against you. If he doesn't hold your sins against you, then there's no blame. There's no reason for blame. It won't be of any functional value. It'll be meaningless. Therefore, you are by default holy because your sins are not held against you because he forgave your sins. But this is not what's going on in the Christian world. What's going on in the Christian world is that they are desperate, it seems, to keep sin alive, to keep people from resting in the forgiveness that they already have. They keep telling people, no, no, God holds your sins against you. You need to obtain forgiveness. You have to get right with God. Well, then you're never going to get right with God. You're never going to be holy. You're never going to be blameless. And obviously, he will never really love you because he's going to be constantly disgusted with you. He's going to be ashamed of you. He is going to reject you. He may have chosen you at one point, but, well, he'll fix that later, I'm sure, right? I mean, this is what people end up with. You know, when a person tries really, really hard to be holy and they fail... If they were told that they were chosen by God because they were going to be holy or that they were chosen by God so that they would be holy and then when they don't achieve this holiness, the only conclusion that they can come to is, well, I guess I just wasn't chosen by God. I guess I've just been living a lie. I guess I've just been pretending to think that maybe God loved me, but obviously he does not. And that's the End of verse 4, where it says, Before him in love, in the previous message, I was explaining that people will say that we are to repent and obey, get our flesh under control, and be holy because we love God. But when people fail to do this, they should then acknowledge that they do not love God. That that kind of interpretation 
does not lead a person to holiness. It absolutely does not. It is not referring to how we may love him. It is referring to how he loves us. This is referring to the love of God for us, expressed in many ways, one of which is his forgiveness, through which there will now be no blame placed against us because he has resolved the sin issue between us and God. So we are therefore holy because of what he has done. We are holy because it is an expression of his love towards us based on what he has done for us, not having anything to do with what we do for him or what we don't do for him. So holiness can only be achieved because of what God does for us, and this is expressed in many different ways. If you'll pay attention to the different ways that God has expressed this. In the following verse, there is an example of how this will be expressed as adoption. In verse 5, it says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, that we have been adopted as children of God, born again by the Spirit, made into a new creation. There's a whole lot to say about this. But when he adopts us, that is an expression of his love. And in this way, you have a new identity. You are a new person. This is another way to understand the holiness that you have because of what he has done for you. He adopts you as his child, not because of what you did or you didn't do or because you loved him enough. You are adopted as his child because he decided to do that, as was explained through the gospel through which we either believe and surrender to and enter into the new covenant, or we can decide to reject that and not be adopted by God as a child of God. He has offered that to everyone, and most people will reject that offer. Very few people will. Only a certain kind of person will respond to the offer of the new covenant that we may be loved by our God, that we may be forgiven by our God, that we may become a new creation in Christ through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, that we may become a child of God adopted by him, that we may be holy because of all that he has done for us. This has to do with salvation. Being made holy is part of being saved. It has nothing to do with how you live the Christian life. It has to do with your salvation, with you being born again, with you being made into a new creation, with you being made into a child of God, effectively adopted into the family of God. That is when you are holy. That is when you are blameless because of his love for you. And entering into that has to do with us believing the gospel, believing the good news, believing in our God. It is an expression 
of our faith that he reveals the truth to us. We respond to that truth by believing the truth and we are saved. Part of the package of being saved is you are made into a child of God, you are adopted, you are blameless, you are loved, you are holy because of what he has done, and yet people have distorted verse 4 into their own religious nonsense to put people into a life of absolute bondage of trying to become holy when if they've been saved, they already are. If you have been saved, you have already been made holy. You are set apart as a holy person to God. Now, I understand that our behavior can quite often be inconsistent with what we would expect of someone who is holy. But that's part of the arrangement. That's part of the deal. That you are born again by the Spirit of God, made into a child of God, so that you can grow so that you can become a different person over an extended period of time, and yet your identity remains the same. Let me give you an example when it comes to the subject of sin. I understand that we would like to see a reduction of sin in our lives, but if you haven't noticed yet, you need to try harder so that you will eventually notice that no matter how hard you try, the sin will just simply never go away. No matter how much you learn about your God, no matter how much you just try to love him and love him and don't do those evil things because you love him, no matter what you do out of whatever incentive there may be, if you will be sincere enough about this, then you will eventually realize that there has to be another way if this is ever going to be real in your life at all. And there is. There is another way, but you have to begin with the love of God. You have to start there. That's why he starts there in verse 4, before him in love. And it's referring to the love of God, not how you love him, but how he loves you. Now, what will happen if you will just rest in the love that he has for you? How will that have an effect in your life, especially if you are struggling with how he may love you at all, especially when you're struggling with your sins? Because in general, the Christian world is relentless in its pursuit of telling people that God holds their sins against them. So the struggle to be loved by your God is enormous in the Christian world in many cases. If you manage at some point to be loved by your God, however that may be achieved, If you can believe that he loves you, well, then there is a wonderful opportunity in your life. If you consider the sin in your life for just a moment, if you really think about it, you will probably discover that some of the sins that you commit in your life are committed because you want to be loved. You will probably find some that you engage in that are a part of your life that you participate in because when you do, you get this sense, you get this feeling, you get this distorted belief that you are being loved in some way. If you look hard enough, I suspect you'll be able to find some sins that would fit into that category. But you're not going to be loved. It's a belief in a lie. 
but sometimes the need to be loved is so profound that people will accept the idea, you know, will you at least just lie to me about loving me? You know, that's close enough. I'll feel maybe like I'm partially loved, even though it's a lie. At least it's a lie. Can I get one of those? Sometimes people deal with their need for love in that way. But either way, it's not going to fulfill the need that you have deep in your heart to be loved. We were created by our God with the need to be loved. And when we engage in those particular sins with hope that we will have some sense that we are loved, then we are expressing our need for love, and yet this will not be fulfilled. And this is one of the reasons why, even though a person will engage in sin, it's never fulfilling in the deepest part of their being, and you will always be left with a sense of emptiness. You will always be left with this sense that you thought you were going to get something, and sure enough, it wasn't delivered. But our God created us with this need to be loved. He created us in such a way that he is the only person who can possibly fulfill the deepest need of our heart to be loved. And so if we will receive and rest in the love of God that he has for us, his love for us, if we will embrace that, if we can even make it that far with all the relentless religious attitudes and beliefs that people are struggling with, if we will ever believe that our God really loves us, then we will be free to say no to the temptations to engage in those sins that are related to the advertisement of if we will engage in those, then we will feel loved. We will be able to say no because we are already loved by our God. Now, this is a way to understand how we may experience a reduction of sin in our lives. But please understand that this is not the objective of the Christian life. The objective of the Christian life is not to figure out how we may stop sinning. The objective of the Christian life is how may we know our God. How may we know the love of God? How might we know him as a person through the love that he has expressed towards us? The reduction of sin is a byproduct. It is a side effect. It is something that can happen and we can be thankful for, but it definitely is not the objective. The objective is for us to grow in a relationship with God such that we may know him more. And to know his love is a way to know our God more. But if you are still trying to obtain holiness, then you will not be loved by your God until you achieve this holiness that you will never achieve. And so you really have to decide, are you going to rest in what he has already done for you, or are you going to try to achieve or sustain your right standing with God by what you do for him? You can't have it both ways. And I will continue with this in the next program.
You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.